Now, if you feel like you can never get on top of your back of house ops, you'll want to hear about our sponsor for this season, Loaded. Loaded's hospitality management software has changed the game for hospitality performance in New Zealand, and they've just arrived in Australia to help you do the same. Their everything-in-one-place platform helps you master your reporting inventory, simplify your recipe and menu management, reduce your cogs, and become an epic central hub that immediately puts you in control. I've seen Loaded's impact firsthand, and if you're running a bar, pub, restaurant or cafe, you need to reach out to their team. Check them out at loadedhub.com. Welcome to another Principle of Hospitality podcast. I'm your host, Sean DeVries. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. Principle of Hospitality has been developed to tell the stories of professionals within the dynamic world of hospitality. We're straight talking, ethically minded, and a reliable online source of information and inspiration for people in the hospitality industry. Now with today's show. Today, we are super excited to have the extraordinary guest with us, Maria Salakis. With an extensive background in hospitality management, Maria has had a significant impact in this industry throughout her career with innovative strategies and a strong understanding of customer service. Her dedication and passion for hospitality has contributed to her growth and inspired so many around her as she's built her career for this dynamic industry. Hey, Maria, how are you? Hey, Sean. It is fantastic to have you on, and I hope I didn't butcher your name too much in the intro there. But I, you know, it I do is try. Not the <laughs> name in the world, is it? I think mm. even we Salakas have our own versions of saying. It's <laughs> good. That makes me feel a whole lot better. Look, I've been really excited to have this podcast with you, and since we've really got to know each other this year, like it's just been inspirational. Catch up every time we have, and just learn from each other and really, you know, think about the impact that you've had on the hospitality industry and the amazing people that you've had the opportunity to work with. So I feel really I feel really humbled to have today's conversation with oh, you. So sure. thanks for joining us. That is amazing. Thank you. It's great <laughs> to be. I'm a huge fan, so it's it is amazing. Thank you. Thank you. So let's let's start out with how you started out in the hospitality industry and obviously in the food game. We want to go into that today. What are some of the moments that really, you know, shaped your career since you've started? Well, I guess as a kid, I, like most kids, probably had no idea what I wanted to do, but I knew what I was drawn to. So I was, a, you know, the second born to Greek migrants and typical of kids of my generation. I was a latchkey child and I grew up on a stable diet of Gilligan's Island, the Brady Bunch, and I dream of Jeannie. <laughs> and my job after I got home from school was to make sure that I started dinner, whether that was peeling potatoes or you know, getting things started so that mum and dad, who both worked, could come home and and get, you know, we could get dinner happening as a family. So mm. I guess that combination of things made me realise that what was important in life is what's for dinner. Mm. Yes, <laughs> How do we get off this crazy island <laughs> and have a bit of fun <laughs> together while we're doing it? So I guess that that's really sort of what informed and drew me to food. And I quickly learnt that cooking for people is something that made them happy and it was incredibly rewarding to be able to do something as little as say peeling the potatoes Mm. so that when mum got home she was able to get on with 
getting dinner ready and we could sit down as a family and have dinner together. And that was a thread that ran through my career. So I sort of went to went through high school and was thinking about uni and was thinking about marketing and somehow I had this itch to, to sort of think about food as a more serious career. So mm. I was drawn to that and started working as a, for caterers more so as, as I was studying. So yeah, that right. was like most people, you're, you, you're doing something in hospitality as you're studying. And then started at working in hotels. So when the Rialto first opened, that was one of the, the wow. places that I worked at. That was a little while ago. What was that like? <laughs> it was amazing. It wasn't that long ago. <laughs> it, was, it was really good. It was, I think it's, as I'm sure you know, openings are one thing and yes. then getting on and running them is another. So it was great to be part of, you know, something that had just opened. Mm. It was very much overseas chef driven mm. and very traditional and that was a different time in hospitality. But I was working in front of house and I remember seeing, you know, the big Austrian chef with a very, very tall white hat mm-hmm. and the black and the whole thing and he would walk through the building and he had commanded this presence. Yeah. And I got up the courage to approach him one day and I said, Chef, I, I really want to cook. You know, would you give me a go? Um, wow. I know. <laughs> and, and he said, yeah, sure. So I started, like most people, I guess, in Lada and then from there progressed. And I was really lucky. I, I got to work with some fantastic people. I think Anne Curley was at the Butter Factory at the time and Valerie, like just some extraordinary names. Wow. And, and, and that was inspiring. But I, because I'd been sort of working, I'd also been working previously to that for a solicitor, just doing sort of EA and reception work, as I said, as I was studying. And my mum was used to seeing me get up every day and put on, you know, a nice jacket and, mm. you know, a nice pair of high heels and handbag and lipstick. And I'd sure. walk out the door and I'd come home at a reasonable hour. And <laughs> she's quite used to that. And after I started working in kitchens, she'd see me coming home and it was cuts and mm. burns and nights and weekends and these crazy hours and I remember her saying to me very distantly one day Maria, what, when are you going to stop playing with knives and get yourself a real job wow and it kind of stayed with me and what stayed with me about that is I think we all want to do something in our career that makes the people around us and our parents really really proud mm. but I'm a second born and I was always going to challenge and I was <laughs> always going to take the alternate path and there was just something about being in that world of food with inspiring creative people that I just went, no, nah, this, is, this is for me. And I mm. stuck with it. Can you describe to me your first day at Rialto in a chef environment? So mm. your back of house, what was that first day like? What did you do? I just remember it being huge. I just remember the enormity of corridors and loading bays and the noise and the bustle and it just seemed overwhelming and so big like not not just because of what was going on in the immediate kitchen that you were in but you knew that you were part of this huge you know many kitchens there was a butchery there was pastry section that probably employed 30 people yeah there was banqueting that was seriously pacey and and fast and full on so I just remember feeling the pace and the busyness of people who were just getting on with you know just it's just the pace isn't it it's Mm. the the hectic environment that you walk into and you're either in or out straight away it's something you either kind of yeah that's where I want to be or it scares the hell out of you 
it's this, it's it's also all like it's it's the smells, it's the sights, it's the you know everything is bulk. Yes. <laughs> everything is twenty kilos. Mm-hmm. Everything is you know noisy. Whether it's you know it, it's just noise and action all around you, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Especially like massive functions and a lot of covers Hundreds. and that kind of stuff. Like it's it's hotels, even though I've never worked in them, always have felt to me I've been in the back. You know, I've been in the kitchens and a lot of hotels supplying product and that kind of stuff. They've always felt like the best training ground for, for hospitalitarians, right? Like to actually hone their craft. But I was going to ask you, like, was there, a, was there a moment which you thought, this is not right. I need to go back front of house. I need to do something else. Or was it, was it always a feeling that you'd made the right decision in playing with knives like your mum had said? I was always convinced that it was food that I enjoyed. So... I was surrounded by really creative people all the time. And that's been, I've always been drawn to people who are creative, whether that's chefs or designers in some, some form. Mm. And I guess even in my own business, it's, it's all I really wanted to do was mm. the creative stuff. Mm. So it was, I guess, as, as you progress through your career, and it's not necessarily a male-female thing, but I think it's more common that women have a shorter lifespan in a kitchen than, than blokes do. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I got to a point where I knew what I loved and I knew what I was good at, but I also recognised that I didn't necessarily have that level of creativity and commitment. Mm. So I I am in awe of the people who, the leaders in, in restaurant kitchens and in hospitality, who have that level of creativity that is beyond anything that I would probably imagine ever getting to. Sure. And I think where I've, I knew I was good was, and what I loved doing was supporting those people and helping some of those really extremely creative people actually put a framework around, okay, well, how are we actually going to get this happening now? Mm. So we want to do this and we want to do this and it'll be like, okay, okay, but, but how are we actually going to do it? And I think that's where I recognised that I was good and and sure. that's where I love to play so I probably pursued that a little bit more and combined that with the hours and the the punishing sort of brutal environment that it can be I was you know I was very fortunate I worked with some great people in some fantastic kitchens so it wasn't because it was I was done with it it was because I guess I knew that I loved being around people like that Mm. but maybe my level of creativity was in another place or doing something else and not necessarily being back of house so how did you use that creativity next what'd you do i think we were talking earlier about how you it's pretty obvious when you actually get to a place that this is where you're meant to be but the path to that place is often really really confusing and daunting Mm. so i a role came up with a role came up with david jones running their food hall and I had been working with Spotless doing sort of some of the big events at the time. So we, I was part of the team that helped to plan the first Grand Prix. And that again, that was major in terms of links and how you get stuff from A to B and working again with creative people in terms of menus, but also logistics, which in itself can be a, a whole discipline and a whole you know, expertise, set of yes. expertise skills. So the, the role came up for somebody to run the food hall at David Jones at the time and I applied and was successful for that and again I got there and when I told people oh this is what I'm doing next people went of course (laughs) of course that makes sense yeah Uh, Yeah. and so I guess that was my opportunity to dip my toe into retail and again I immediately just loved it it was retail is 
so it's an exciting place to be. I am a shop girl. I love it. I love being in environments where and in spaces where simply the elements of product and people and environment somehow come together and you can really change the way people feel about themselves, about a product, about a brand, about uh, being in a space. So that was my introduction to retail and, again, loved it straight away. I've got so many questions, much because I'm jealous. I remember I used to get the gourmet tra- when I first started my career and before before I started in hospitality. I used to get the gourmet traveler every month, right, and just yeah. get so excited about hospitality and dishes and and what was popping up next, restaurant wise and stuff like that. Yeah. And I remember around that in one of the editions, I was talking about David Jones Food Hall and because it was in Burke Street Mall, right? Yeah. And all I wanted to do was come uh, an Adelaide boy. All I wanted to do was come to Melbourne and see it. And I remember seeing it for the first time and I was just like blown away. I was just Mm -hmm. like, wow, this is so exciting. This is what – like there's nothing what supermarkets were doing. Like it was just like stuff that you couldn't get anywhere else other than that place, right? And it was just so inspiring to see food showcased in such a professional, engaging – enlightening way that was talking about providors in a in a way that I hadn't seen done before and like what was that time like in building that particular food hall it must have been incredible it was you know right time right place and again I I was thrown in with people that didn't necessarily know food in the same way that I did but they knew product food products Mm. so these were product experts cheese experts charcuterie experts butchers bakers you know these were people that knew their product extremely well and that was what set david jones apart at the time right Mm. not only was it a great place to shop because it felt like this huge emporium and it felt like you had all of a sudden you're in this place that the world was it was available to you but mm. it was the people that were behind the counter that made a real difference because they knew the products that they were representing sure so it was an exciting place to be from the point of view of understanding and saying oh okay food can be really creative in so many other ways and mm. that enjoyment and sharing of food you can you that manifests in lots of different ways and this is one way that this happens i also had the opportunity to work with visual merchandisers mm. and marketing people in a more direct way than in previous roles so it was that really lovely balance of business and strategy and merchandising and marketing and food yep and i was that was it i was done I was done for that. That was, you know, that really did frame, you know, what happened next and what happened after that. That it was that combination of food and retail and what can happen in a retail space and how you can transform people and transport them. And it is that first moment, as you just described, that is the reward for me that when somebody walks into a place and it's that first few seconds of, oh, take your breath away and you see it you see it in people's faces you see it in their in their response when they actually walk into something because they either either oh it's this you know relief that oh my god this is this is the place that i want to a place that i want to be in Mm. or it's that that complete surprise that you know 
that it, that it is possible to be surrounded by such incredible produce people. Yeah. What, yeah. Did, what did it tell you about storytelling and the importance of storytelling around food and beverage in that time? Well, I think this is what I where I came to appreciate the link between the visual, like the what's going on environment and space, not just plate and table, and you know what what's immediately in front of you. That mm. it's all of these other things. They talk about retail being about theatre, and I don't know how else to describe it. Yep. I guess the only difference really, in terms of say hospitality and retail would be that maybe in in a restaurant you're part of the experience you're part of the the production or the whatever's going on but mm. because you are the diner and you're you're interacting but i think in terms of retail it is about being being transported and being taken on a journey and these are words that are thrown around i know a lot but it is that ability to transport and transform and take you beyond and show you something new and and show you something that you didn't know existed or to experience something in a very very different way Mm. and it could be because it's an ingredient or a style of cuisine that you don't know about or haven't heard of before or it could just be that it's something that you thought you knew really really well but all of a sudden you've been shown something new with something that you thought you knew yeah, of course. Does that make sense? It does make a lot of sense. Why do you think? Why do you think that kind of food emporium, especially something like David Jones Food Hall, doesn't exist as much as it used to back in like the early nineties, early two thousands, when it sort of started to evolve into you know a really big thing at that point? Like it, it's not. I don't feel the food emporiums of that time around as much now in Australia. Like in Europe, I certainly see it a lot you know, mm. online and that kind of stuff, that it feels a much more normal kind of place. But why do you think it, you know, it, it, it's not as normal here in Australia now? I think we're different. I think that we, at the time, there was no other option because we were overseas, we were looking overseas, whether it was our chefs, whether it was our ingredients, whether it was the style of food, it was very classic, it was very French, it was very Fortnum and Mason, it was very mm. Harrods, it was... We were looking outwards to try and replicate what we were doing in Australia. Mm. And I think we got to the point where we thought, no, there is a better way of doing this and that big emporium format is no longer relevant, really. Ingredients have become far more accessible, as Mm. they should be. So they don't exist anymore because we've evolved and we expect to be able to go down, down to our local whether it's the farmer's market or the supermarket or the, you know, the corner local little store and be able to find most of the things that once upon a time were exclusive and only available in certain places. Those days are gone because we expect convenience but we also have a better understanding of what's available in our own backyard and have been able to set things up to make all of those things possible rather than you have to go to this big emporium in the middle of the CBD yep. maybe once every few months to, to get that special ingredient that you now probably use more sparingly. It's funny because that makes me think some of the romance is gone and some of the exclusivity, with the exclusivity being gone, like takes away some of the specialness and appeal and stuff like that. But maybe other people think, oh, well, that's just inconvenient. Or I think 
there's specialness in the fact that you can't get it at very many places. There's specialness in the fact that you can only, you know, you have to go to the city to go and get it. Do you think that specialness is gone from, no, from some I think, products? I think the specialness comes back to not just the ingredient but where where you're buying that ingredient. So I think as cons- customers and diners, we now expect not just – it's not just the product that I'm looking for. Mm. It's where I bought that product from that is a real, really, really important part of why I buy what I buy. Mm. I do remember this one example of a customer that I dealt with at Essential and she'd come in to buy – a copy of Jamie Oliver's cookbook. And you can say, well, you can get Jamie Oliver's cookbook anywhere. Yeah, you probably can. But she'd made a special trip. And on the way there and coming into the store, she had this unfortunate experience in the car park coming coming into the store. And it just sort of didn't set her up for a great experience when she was in the store. And then what possibly also happened was she didn't necessarily get the attention that she expected from the person who looked after her on that day. You don't always get it right. Mm. And she went home with a book in her bag and she rang and she said, you know what, Maria, I can't cook out of this book. And I went, oh. And she said, you know, part of me buying this book that I can get anywhere was that I came to buy it from you. I wanted to buy this particular book from you. And I really, really, really understand the importance of what she was saying Mm. and I often think back to that because you can buy that book most places. It's not the point. The point is everything that goes around that experience that we remember and we yearn and we search for, not just the special ingredient. Isn't it profound how one customer can change everything for you? (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, I'm, I'm grateful. Oh, I'm so 100%, grateful right? because again, if ever you think you know you're, you, if you ever get into that place where you think, oh well, I'm just doing something that nobody else is doing, I can get away with it. Mm, nope, <laughs> not necessarily. That's where I think the worst customers, uh, the worst customers. I'll say the worst customers because I can't think of another word. The worst customers in our in industry yeah. are the ones who have a bad experience and don't say anything mm. and don't come back. Yeah. And, yeah. we all, and we honestly think the worst customers are the ones who complain. The, the worst customers are not the ones who complain, in my thinking. They're giving us an opportunity to rectify the situation. Well, I think there's a you difference know? between complaining yes, and between caring enough to say, hey, this matters to me and I think you should know because it probably matters to you. Great point. And there's a difference in how you, you do that. Yeah, I totally agree. Super interesting. Why do you think we are more connected to ingredients and producers and that kind of stuff do you think it's the fact that maybe you know 20 odd years ago there wasn't as much nearly as much information about where the pasta came from or where the potatoes were grown or or where the wine was made and now there's so much more storytelling on social media and online that people feel more connected to those products just because they have more information about those products or like do you, how do you mm. sort of perceive it I think in some respects, does it go back to if we're taking cooking as a more serious profession, Mm. then does it then mean that we are naturally feeling more purposeful in what we're doing? So we're not just – it's not just a thing we're doing. This is something that is a mission we're on. So 
are we a bit more purposeful in what we're doing in terms of the skills or the ingredients? Mm. And therefore, is that connection to the ingredients and to the people who are preparing our food or have prepared those who have grown that thing something that we're far more interested and compelled to know? Mm. It, it is about, I think, possibly about that connection. And what do you think you're talking about, obviously, people having, thinking more about hospitality being a career than maybe when you started? Why, why do you think that is? That's super interesting. Do you think that's because of the last three years and the challenges we've had because, you know, community has been so important and hospitality has been a, a major driver in making sure that people feel connected to community through their venues that they would visit or able to visit during the last three years? Like, do you think it's something to do with that? Do you think it's the lack of staff that have it's been available the last period it's of time? a big question, isn't it? Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of take a really sort of aerial view. I wonder if it isn't to do with we have become more interested in cooking and yes of course there was master chef mm. there was places that you only had as you were saying earlier Sean that you know there were, once upon a time you had to go to a certain place to get a certain ingredient yep. so the combination of things are more accessible as in ingredients there is the era of making uh, skill and being in a kitchen and preparing a meal feel more accessible mm. that I think we've we've seen that as well mm-hmm and I think the combination of, oh, I can do that, or, oh, this feels really, really good. <laughs> yes. I think those things are potentially what draw people to hospitality. And hospitality really is the sum of lots of parts. So I think it would be hard to not find, if it's something that you're interested in, I think it would be hard not to be drawn to one or other element of, of what brings all of those things together. Yeah. Makes a heap of sense. One of my thinkings at the moment, one of the things I'm really concerned about, I suppose, from an outside person looking in, is that maybe people, you know, normal people who are not within the hospitality industry have lost the ability to cook or lost the imagination in how to cook. Not the great, amazing things you see on MasterChef, but the day-to-day stuff, you know, and, and some people think it's like time. Some people think it's like home economics maybe not being a thing in high schools as much yep. as they used to be 20, 30 years ago. You've been so close to people who are cooking food, who are thinking about that night's meal every single day. What are your sort of thoughts? Do you think people have lost the ability to maybe cook for themselves on a regular basis? I think it goes back to where where that started for people. And I was lucky enough to grow up in a home where, you know, being expected to contribute to the family meal every day was was really important and mm. that, that sort of does set the tone in terms of how you approach food and how you value those skills from the get-go. And we've gone from probably having learnt those skills from mums and dads and grandparents and the people around us to having to look outward for those skills. So I think a lot of people seem to come to cooking because they've either had great parents who were great cooks or parents who were really bad (laughs) and they needed (laughs) to learn those skills themselves. So I think it's it it absolutely goes back to where where that starts for you. And is it a case of have we lost it? Well I I'm wondering whether it's a case of where where do you get it? Mm. That's that's a really important question to ask. Where do you learn cooking now? Because, you know, most homes, both parents are working, everybody's busy, everyone's running around and that time that we used to make make time to, to 
sort of cook a family meal is, is now very different. Mm. So there's certainly that. And it is the, the, the other side of that, which is really interesting, is that we are so surrounded by food everywhere we go and cooking shows and suggestions and tricks and hacks and it's, it's endless. Yep. So I think the expectation to be able to cook is something that is a pressure for a lot of people. It doesn't seem to be something that's a joyful part of the day, which is really sad. It's interesting. It's, you know, it's something that seems like pressure and overwhelming and those fundamental skills that we take for granted. Where do you, where do you learn those? If you don't learn those somewhere, whether it's at home, you know, home economics or at home or because you have an aunt or a grandmother or somebody who took your side and got your hands in dough or threw you a knife, then if that doesn't happen somewhere, then of course it's going to feel like we've lost those skills. Yeah. But I guess the question to ask is, well, where do we, where do we learn them to start with? Where yes. do we go to learn them to start with or to get that inspiration? Just interrupting this podcast to let you know that Fine Food Australia returns this September the 11th to the 14th to Sydney and will occupy the entire ICC Sydney. That's four levels of fine food. Fine food has been the leading trade event for all food, from retail to hospitality, manufacturing to bakery for nearly four decades. Visiting fine food will be the recipe to fast track your business for commercial success. Just a reminder that this event is free to attend, so make sure you register at finefoodaustralia.com.au. Now back to our podcast. When, when did you realise the importance probably of the fact of, you know, having a big family and, and having a Greek family, as you said, and having people around a table and learning all these skills? Was that always, did you always know that was important? Or was there a particular time that you went, God, that I really like when you talk with other people. I didn't appreciate that as much as maybe now. Like, was there oh, a no, moment I, there, or you just funny, always appreciative? Yeah, right? always. I I was born in Greece, and we were. I was four when we. My parents, two kids, just classic migrant story. Two kids, two suitcases, other side of the world. <laughs> and even though I was four, to this day, I can still sense that I can feel that sense of being around a table. And being part of a, something, you know, like a community, a, a small Greek village, a family, and that sense of togetherness and being with others is something that I, I, it's just one of my earliest memories. So it is something that I've always known and it's something that I'm constantly reminded of, whether it is because it's Friday night and we're at mum's for dinner and she wants to know what time, what time she'll put the chips on. <laughs> And it's yes. like, oh, mum, like, yeah, put the chips on. <laughs> um, have you that. eaten? What have you eaten? Have you, what are you, are you going to take this? Why aren't, you taking, why, aren't you, why aren't you taking this? I've got three other bags for you. Why aren't you taking a bit more? It's just that constant reminder that, that food is an important part of nourishing and nurturing and looking after people around you. So that's something that's absolutely always been, been with me for sure. It must be a very grounding moment to think of those situations and those conversations and those ta- those parts around a table to to actually think about how that's guided choices in your career I would imagine in yeah you know those importance um, I will warn you that I'm from a small island of great 
Okay. <laughs> Which is probably the biggest island of bullshit. Yeah. Stories. <laughs> we love a story, you know, oh. a paradigm and a metaphor. So you're talking to the <laughs> person I'm going to take you all down all sorts of. Please. But yeah, totally. Like my career has, if, if I sort of, you know, dig deep and over the last sort of when, you know, when I f- first sort of let, when I, when I've, sold the business and and took some time off we were you know a year off is what we decided to do and and one of the things that I spent my time doing was okay well what what does drive me and what is it that I'm interested in and how did I get to here and mm. what is it about food so you you go in and you you really do the work and <clears throat> through the startmate fellowship I got to have lots of conversations about well what is it that you know what's going on what what is it that motivates and drives and and, and fuels this passion and this fire that you have. And for me, it always came back to being around a table and the things, the, the, you know, the metaphors of nobody eats alone. Nobody mm. eats alone. There's always room at the table for one more. Are you okay? Have you had enough? You know, it's, it's all that, what about, what about you? Why, why don't you try this? It's, it's absolutely all about bringing the right people to the table not feeling as though anybody's left behind or has gone without and sharing. And that the number one thing is that connection that happens around a table. How much, how much is that analogy and those stories guided your business sense? Because if you use that in leadership as well, Mm. like it's, it's the same thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. And it's, it is totally, if, if I think about my style of leadership and, the way that I work with teams or within a team, it is absolutely about how do we come together? How do we get on the same, you know, get on this, it's the right place, the right time, and that's where the magic happens. How do we connect? How do we have those conversations? How do we understand one another? And a lot of that happens around food. Mm. Can we talk about the last year for you? Sure. How's it been? It's been amazing. What's been amazing about it? So I think it was the greatest opportunity. We don't get a chance to take time out in our career. We just don't. Mm. And we decided that we were going to take a year off and it was going to be my year of saying yes to everything. <laughs> that was the only expectation that, that I set for myself that I was going to say yes to, to everything that was presented as an opportunity. So whether that is meeting someone new, doing something different. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were away for nearly six months. We got to go back to Greece after, you know, post-COVID and the whole thing and just that opportunity to be somewhere without necessarily having to log on, check an email, answer a question, have your name said 20 times a day. It was just wonderful. It was just so <laughs> lovely. So it was a great opportunity to do a whole lot of things that you just don't have time to do, especially thinking about, who you are, what drives you, what do you care about, what are you good at. So all of those things were the things that I got time. So I guess it was a year of working on not working. Yes. (laughs) But in some respects, trying to understand and pull apart, there's the job that you have, but then there's the real work that you do. Mm. And what's that about? Mm. What's going on there? Because especially as somebody who's a leader or in a senior position or somebody or an owner, you, you, there is no time for mm, that. Mm. There is no time. So it was, it was 
a wonderful opportunity to just take time out and really think about next steps and how did we get to here. Did you deliberately try and make sure it was unstructured the last year or did you try and build some structure into the Um, last year as well? I like a little bit of structure. Mm. So as it happens, it was kind of – it ended up being sort of blocks of time. So I did some study, which was probably about three or four months. I did the fellowship, which was about two or three months, and then we travelled for the remainder of that. So it, it, it happens that it was in blocks of time. And that was certainly helpful in, in having some purpose but also making the most of the time because you, I think the, the other thing that happens is that you, you know you're very, very lucky to be in a position where you can do this mm. and you want to make the most of the time that you have because you know that it's, you know, it's, not, it's not forever. Yeah, <laughs> not working. exactly. Well, maybe yeah. it is for some people. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, so absolutely. There was, there was, it was important to have some, some structure, even whether that's time or, you know, an objective or a goal, but that, that's certainly something that was very important. Innovations obviously played a large role, like in your career as well. Can you share some examples of a time when innovation directly impacted, you know, the success that you've had in, in companies, in food retail, in, in hospitality in general? Sure. I remember... Probably my first week starting at Essential and having come from a couple of experiences that weren't great environments to work in and had seen really good people not necessarily treated particularly well or circumstances meant that maybe people weren't treated as well as they could have been. And feeling feeling that pain... I remember standing there and thinking, this is my opportunity. First of all, I thought, do these people have any idea that I have no idea what I'm doing? <laughs> is a show in my face? Yeah. I, I yeah. Should, yep. <laughs> yes. And then I went, okay, right, Emre. So what what can you what can you do? What I can do is I can create the kind of culture that I would want to work in, having just experienced what I have in terms of bad behaviour or toxic environments. So I guess that was a very conscious and primary objective that I set for myself that, mm. okay, this is this is an opportunity to really write the rules in terms of how I would want to be treated, the kind of place I would want to work in, and then executing on that. Mm-hmm. It, it didn't happen overnight. <laughs> <laughs> Can you think how long it took? Oh, I'd say 10 years. Wow. You know, and, and when I say that, wow. it's not because it, it is small things. It's, sure. You know, I one of the things that in the last year was a question for me was this thing called strategy. What is that? You talk strategy. What's, what is that? What does that mean? So I met lots of people during the fellowship that – were all about strategy. They'd come from management consulting, they'd come from big jobs, solving mm. big problems in big firms. And I'm just an operator. You know, I'm like 20, 25 years of operating on the ground in the trenches. So I'd hear this word strategy, go, what the hell are they talking about? And in speaking to lots of gir- the girls, because they were it was a women's fellowship, they would talk about this job, this big job that they had where it was all about writing strategy. 
But the frustration was that somebody would then take this big document or this idea that was 50, 100, 300 pages, pop it in a bottom drawer (laughs) and that was it. You know, you never, never, no, no change, no nothing. Nope. And the frustration for, the frustration was I don't get a chance to see if my idea worked. I don't get a chance to see if, if my idea actually happens. Does it make a change? Does it make a difference? Does it solve the problem? And I had, I spent a lot of my career operating and innovating or innovating while operating. Yes. <laughs> it wasn't a choice to do one or the other. So when I say it takes a long time, it starts with why are we, why are we here? Who do we serve? What are we trying to achieve? Articulating that for yourself as, as a leader, as an owner, as a founder. What is it you're trying to do? And does, does somebody want that? Like, is it something that people want? Mm. And is it something that we should do? Like, does it make good sense? And is it something that's viable? Like, yeah, yeah. Is it sustainable? Yeah. yeah. Is it is, yeah. it is it a business or mm. is it just a great idea? So mm. it starts with getting clear on that and looking around you rather than just thinking about, you know, what you want to see in a product or what you would want to see on a table or what you would want to see on the shelf or in a, in a restaurant and thinking about who you're serving and what they want and how they experience your venue or your space or the interaction with your people. So really getting an understanding of, okay, well, what, what's possible here, starting with the building a team, and that takes time. There was certainly, you know, the, the first priority was to get to know these people, get to know what they do every day, mm. work along with them, understand their frustrations, their pains, their, you know, the thing that gets them up, every, you know, gets them, gets them into work every day and, yep. and gets them excited. Mm. And that takes time. And then from there, you know, you build all the other stuff around that, so, you know, the marketing and the systems and the and that takes time it doesn't just happen overnight and I was incredibly lucky that I had I had my morning coffee was with the same person almost every day for 20 years and that is pretty rare yes. and that's probably something that I'm most proud of that this is this was a team of amazing people who genuinely cared for one another and that's something that takes a long time to build. It takes time to get to that. It doesn't just happen overnight. And it's it's in the small stuff. It's in the everyday. It's in how you behave. It's in how you contribute. It's in what you expect from the people around you. And all of that takes time to understand, to, to actually play out mm. and to commit to. Do you think you can train patience? Because the probably one thing I just took out of what you said is it takes time. It takes time. A lot of like I'm an operator like yourself, as you probably guessed. And the one thing I've had to train myself on is strategy. And now I'm thankful that I'm an operator because I can see both mm. sides and the importance of both sides. But I think the one thing which is really important in any kind of change that you're going to implement in any kind of business, but especially in something that's so emotive as hospitality is patience because you need to see how something's going to play out. Do you think you can train that with a team or do you think that's a culture thing or like an owner thing? Yeah, look, for me, Sean, I think it starts with empathy and a bit of curiosity. 
and really caring about the people around you and starting from a point of genuinely assuming that you don't know. I genuinely don't know what's going on for this person. Yep. I don't know. It could be anything. It's probably not what it seems. So just starting at that point of, okay, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with this person, so I need to try and maybe find out. And I need to stop and take the time to maybe understand what's going on for them. I may not agree. I may not think it's valid. I may not see things the same way as this other person, but I at least need to start from wanting to find out and caring enough to find out. So I try and think about that when I I'm not a very patient person. <laughs> really? Oh, you come across as super patient. God to me. no. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. Yesterday. <laughs> come yeah, on, chop right. chop. Let's get let's it done. Let's get it done. Yeah, right. And I think that's the operator in that you you know you can you can walk into a room, you can look around, you can go snap snap. You know what has to be done. Yeah, that's easy. I yeah. think that's the easy bit. Knowing what has to be done, that's the easy bit. Ideas, oh, I can give you a hundred in a minute. Easy. It's the execution and working with other people to get them to buy in, to get them to come with you, to get them, you know, to create that momentum that drives things forward. Because if it was just up to me, oh, that's the easy bit. You just get in and do it, right? Yeah, exactly. And then it falls over as soon as you walk out the door, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. What's the, what's the one thing you've learnt about it not falling over as soon as you walk out the door and making sure you have great culture, great teams? What If you took one – if people were to take one thing away – about creating amazing teams and amazing company culture like you have done for such a long time, where would you want them to start? Connection. It's the number one thing that if you don't have, if you don't understand one another, if you don't understand why we're here, what you think, what I think, what may be another way of doing something, if we're not open to those things, accepting people for who they are, giving them the space to express an opinion, but above all, expecting people to make a contribution. So it's for me, it's not about hugging everyone every day, <laughs> far from it. It's about, you know, I'm, I'm, this is something I take very seriously and I'm prepared to work really, really hard and the expectations I have of myself are pretty high, which is probably why, and you're going to get a lot out, you're going to get a lot from me, but by the same token, I actually expect a bit from you as well. So I think having some really clear expectations around, you know, we're, we're here to do this together and, and that connection being the w- number one thing is my starting point generally. Love it. What, what legacy are you trying to leave the hospitality industry, do you think? Oh, Especially in the last year that you've had off, I'm sure you would have thought about those kind of things a bit. Yeah, I love that intersection of people and place. And that interplay. So it's it's the it's people and understanding what excites them and inspires them and yeah, it's 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 understanding what's going on in people's head and in their heart that mm. that I'm drawn to. Mm. And also creating space for people, but also creating beautiful space that we want to work in, be in, spend time in, come together in. And if if you can achieve that, then I think that's a pretty important legacy. I agree. Thank you. How often do you think about all the all the people that you trained and mentored and guided along the way in the small or big ways and how that's been a legacy for, 
for them as well how they take on other hospitality businesses or other other roles in leadership because of the way that you affected their work? One of the most selfish <laughs> things I think is the joy that I've been able to experience in seeing somebody coming to a role where they've either been beaten around in a kitchen that's been really, really punishing, done really hard hours, had a bad boss, had a bad set of circumstances and just giving them the opportunity to find a place that they can land and where they're made to feel heard and seen and that their opinion matters. Mm. I think about being able to see that and see that transformation and the joy that that's given me and I think probably I've learnt so much more from the people that I've had the privilege of working with than hopefully, and hopefully given something back, but that is something that is just joyous. I agree. It's the great thing about our industry, I think I reflect on a little bit, probably should reflect on more, is the fact that I often feel guilty with people that I've trained and developed and mentored or businesses we work in because I feel like I always get back much more than I give yeah. and I feel like I give a lot. So I feel like I get back a lot as well. <laughs> Maria, what are, you up, what are you up to now? What, what you know, people are going to be excited about listening to this podcast. I know they're going to be researching about you. They're going to want to understand more. Like what are you doing next? I've recently taken on a a category innovation role with one of the majors, mm-hmm. which is pretty exciting. And as I said to you earlier, I think, Sean, you get there and you go, of course. <laughs> so it makes sense. Where have you guys been? Why did you take, why did it take you a year to get here? <laughs> where have you been? It's pretty obvious, but the, it's, it's, it's the journey that, that it's taken to get here that's, that's been just as exciting as, as the role itself. So, yeah, pretty exciting. Where can people find out more about you and contact you and, and, and have a chat if they would like to? Is that okay to yeah. let people reach oh, out? Wow, yeah, of course. I guess LinkedIn, yeah. Perfect. That's going to be linked up in the show notes of this podcast as well so you can reach out to Maria. It was fantastic. An absolute well, joy to have so you much. on this podcast. I feel guilty we've waited too long to have it, no. but I'm glad we're having it at this moment. It's <laughs> obviously you purposeful. Thank so much. A huge fan, Sean. I really, really admire the, the work you do. It's such, such an important piece of – yeah, thank you. Thanks, Maria. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks again for tuning to this episode of Principle of Hospitality – I know you really enjoyed that one. Please comment, like, and share this podcast with your friends in the industry. It's obviously super important, but especially with an industry leader like Maria, do some more research about her, understand where she's come from and reach out. She's an inspirational person and would definitely love to connect, no doubt. Please share this with other people in the industry as well. That's the only reason we can keep doing what we're doing. Until next time, stay well, everyone. Now, if you feel like you can never get on top of your back of house ops, you'll want to hear about our sponsor for this season, Loaded. Loaded's hospitality management software has changed the game for hospitality performance in New Zealand, and they've just arrived in Australia to help you do the same. Their everything in one place platform helps you master your reporting inventory, simplify your recipe and menu management, reduce your cogs, and become an epic central hub that immediately puts you in control. I've seen Loaded's impact firsthand, and if you're running a bar, pub, restaurant or cafe, you need to reach out to their team. Check them out at loadedhub.com.